Hey, so open your Bibles to Zechariah. We'll be in the last three chapters of Zechariah today. If you're wondering where that is, go to the New Testament. Back up a couple of books. Uh, you'll pass right over Malachi, which is a very small, porquito uh, book in the, uh, in the Minor Prophets. And then you'll hit Zechariah. Uh, and, and we're in the last three chapters. There will be in chapter 12 today. Uh, uh, just while you're getting there, I'm sure you've noticed my shirt that says, Jesus saves, bro. Uh, that is from Garrett Street. He, uh, he actually sent this to uh, Drew, uh, my son Drew, and said, uh, uh, Rev needs this shirt. So I ordered one right then. And I was like, I, d- I definitely needed that shirt. So uh, you should probably all get one as well. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, these last three chapters. Man, this was a tough week preparing for the, these last three chapters. I'm not even going to lie to you. This was like really, really difficult. I read through it. I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this today. And so I was like, Holy Spirit, we got to kick it into overdrive uh, because this is difficult today. Uh, so here's kind of a, a really quick summary of these last three chapters, and then we'll get into it a little bit deeper. And so um, uh, these chapters 12 through 14, uh, they contain like this oracle of uh, the defeat of Jerusalem's enemies and the future salvation of the people of God. Okay, that seems uh, simple enough. It also speaks of the coming Messiah. You'll see that as we get into this as well. Uh, the Messiah who was rejected by his own, own people, but will be their salvation. The salvation of Israel is talked about in this, these last three chapters of Zechariah. Uh, it describes uh, future Jerusalem and, and what that's going to look like for the future of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and so in this, Jerusalem is portrayed as this kind of burdensome stone um, that will be a source of salvation for the nations. Um, uh, it talks about the Lord defending Jerusalem, uh, that he'll pour out his spirit on the people. Uh, the, the, again, the, the chap- these chapters talk about the coming of the Lord as a warrior and one who will come to judge the nations, also one who will come to save his people. And um, so it's important, especially as we read these last three chapters of Zechariah, to understand that it really is a prophetic word, a prophetic word that obviously all the Old Testament would have been a prophetic word for, uh, for looking at the time. But this is even a prophetic word that for us to see in 2023, uh, some things that are actually coming that haven't come uh, to pass yet. And I'll just say, it's just not always easy to understand. Uh, the, the, especially the, the, the verbiage through this is just not an easy one to take in and understand. Uh, it is a book about hope, though. It is a book about judgment, and it's a call to repentance and faith, uh, specifically for Israel, and I would say for each of us today, a call to repentance and faith. Um, uh, and you'll hear that over and over in this. Uh, you hear us say that from the pulpit uh, regularly here. Uh, but specifically, Zechariah gets into that in the last three chapters. So, so uh, Zechariah takes, so that's, the end, that's my summary. And so that's what I'm going to talk about for the next hour. I'm just kidding. I won't go as long as I did last week. Promise. If I, I'm just cutting myself off. Somebody bring the hook up if we go that long today. Somebody just tackle me uh, if that's what happens. Um, and so in this kind of second oracle that, uh, that we read about here in, in Zechariah, uh, it takes us to the end times. Now, I know end times are never controversial, right? I'm sure that if we asked for your opinion of end times, we said this at Refuge a lot of times, uh, that if we got uh, a bunch of people together and asked them what their opinions were about end times, we would get as many opinions as pretty much we had people in the room. Uh, my end times theology has kind of done like this through the years. It's gone back and forth and ebbed and flowed. And I always said, you know, you get a good theologian that's solid in his end times theology. I go, Yep, I can see where you came up with that. And then I get somebody with another theology on end times and I go, yep, I can see where you came up with that too. And so the thing we say at Refuge, especially if you come to like discover or you're finding out a little bit more about who we are, we just say, hey, the thing we know that is Jesus is coming back, okay? He's bodily coming back. He'll come back in his second coming. And, and how all that plays out, again, back to this. We're not exactly sure. Lots of people have differing opinions about that, but we know that Jesus bodily is coming back again. And so 
how Zechariah actually make, talks about it playing out may kind of make you squirm in your seat a little bit about your theology. It made me squirm all week. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll hold to that, but I mean, it is in the Bible, so I'm going to have to go with that this week. So just go along on this journey with me. It'll be fun. Um, so he, uh, he describes, in, uh, in the, again, in these last three chapters, uh, these Gentile nations attacking Jerusalem and, and the Jews experiencing some serious trials. He talks about it, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. That's how he kind of describes that, that, that this is a, a difficult time because uh, Israel will be under siege uh, at some point. Uh, and then it talks again about the Lord returning in great power, returning in glory, uh, and he's coming back to deliver his people, to save his people and establish his kingdom here on the earth. And, and I'm just going to tell you, that's an exciting thing to think about. It's exciting to think about the Lord's kingdom being set up here on the earth. And uh, again, uh, it, it's a real thing. This is not some thing that happens that we're not sure how it, we're not sure exactly how it plays out, but it's one of those things that we're sure that's going to happen. The Lord is going to come back. He is going to establish himself. He, there will be a kingdom that is established on this earth. And, and so this is not some fictional pie in the sky kind of thing, but it is a prophecy for Zach, from, from Zechariah, from the Lord, uh, that has yet to actually take place for us uh, to actually uh, see yet. So as we think through these three chapters, uh, I want you to notice some repetition things. Uh, one of the phrases you'll see is uh, in that day, which is found like 16 times through these three chapters, or that day or the day of the Lord uh, uh, is actually talking about a, a day of wrath and a day of judgment. But I do want us to read some prophecies from other places that may help us understand the difficult, uh, these difficult final three chapters. So I'm going to go back to Joel. If you want to turn there with me uh, to Joel, you just back up some, or if you're not really sure where that is just listen and follow along uh, as we get to it. So Joel chapter 3, uh, I'm going to read verses uh, 9 through 16 because I believe this is uh, part of Joel speaking into the same thing. Here's what Joel says. Proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war, stir up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. We'll talk about that in just a little bit as we get further into uh, Zechariah today. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, where there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the, in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So as we read from Joel, that may sound some familiar things as we come on through Zechariah. And then uh, turn for, if you turn with me, turn to Zephaniah, uh, we, which we've already covered. Um, Zephaniah, back up a couple of uh, books from where we are in Zechariah. I'm not sure why the Lord did that, just to confuse us. He's not a Lord of, he's not a God of confusion, but it confuses me sometimes. Ze Zephaniah, Zechariah. We're going back up to Zephaniah chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse 4. Here's what Zephaniah says we've, that we've already covered a few weeks back when we covered the, uh, uh, covered the minor prophet Zephaniah. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant Baal and the name of the idol, uh, idolatrous priests among uh, along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who did not seek the Lord or inquire of him. The day of the Lord is near is what my uh, heading says in my Bible right there. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. 
And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traders are no more, and all who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. The goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty uh, battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of wrath of on the day of the wrath of the Lord, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. And then just one more place uh, that I want us to look before we uh, get into looking at this. Turn right to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 uh, uh, there's some headings probably in your Bible that talk about this. And uh, it talks about Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple that was to come uh, soon after Jesus foretold this. But then he talked about the signs of the end of the age and the abomination of desolation that was to come. And, and then you get uh, with him over in um, uh, uh, the coming of the Son of Man, uh, the, lesson, uh, the coming of the Son of Man. And I'll, I'll just read those last few verses uh, and what it says, here's what he says in uh, verse 29. Yeah, that's what I want to read. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the signs of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so you're going to see glimpses of this in and out of Zechariah's prophecy as he speaks about that here. And so those are some places that you can go back. We don't have time to get into all that today, but if those are some places that you can go back and see how these things interact with this Old Testament uh, minor prophet as he predicts ahead some things that are to come. And so this first section we're going to read together, if you'll follow along with me in your Bible, is that the Lord will deliver Jerusalem. So let's read Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Here's what the scripture says. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The seeds of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its riders with madness. Uh, we went to the rodeo last night and we saw some of that happening. Uh, people riding bulls. No, this is not that. Uh, the prophecy didn't come true last night, the rodeo. But that's what it reminded me of. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. 
And he goes on, on that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the middle of wood, like a flaming torch among the sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left of all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again inhabit its place in Jerusalem. Two more, uh, three more verses. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God and the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, turn to the right to chapter 14. We'll read seven verses there in the first seven verses of chapter 14. Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoils taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Look at what he says then. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall, have, shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of, of my mountains for the valley of, of the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the day of Uzziah the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be light there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time, there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. So let's stop right there. That's a lot. So just... Follow along with me and see if you, just ask the Holy Spirit right now to help you understand. Help us all to understand what it is that he wants us to get from this prophecy from Zechariah. And so what you'll see is uh, in the book of Zechariah, uh, Jerusalem is mentioned like 52 times in this book. And 22 of those references are in these final three chapters that we're actually covering uh, today. And so in Zechariah chapter 1, we learn that God is jealous for Jerusalem and he's jealous for them with a great jealousy. It's kind of like the, uh, uh, the love of a father. Think about this, dads. The love of a father for his wayward firstborn son. If you can imagine that, maybe you have one. Uh, maybe you were one. But the love of a father for his firstborn son Son, or even that of a desire for a husband who is married to someone who has strayed from the marriage. And yet that husband still loves and cares and longs for his wife. And that, that's kind of the, the picture that gets painted here uh, for us in, in the way that, uh, that, that God is jealous for Jerusalem and longs for them, uh, longs for them to even be part of his fold. And so the writer here, as we get into this, kind of uses these metaphors that we understand a little bit to help us understand uh, in our times what it is like to, for God to, to have a desire for people who don't even love him yet, or for God to have a desire for those who are unfaithful to him, for God to long for them to be in relationship with him. You ever think about that? I mean, do you ever think about what it's like for the God who created us to long for us whenever we stray away? I mean, many of us could probably find our time or maybe you're in the middle of a time right now where you're just far from the Lord. Where you've strayed far from the Lord and, and you can't think of a time that maybe you were further away. Or maybe you can think of a time that you're further, you were further away, but you're still far from the Lord. The life that you choose to live regularly just, uh, just uh, uh, screams that I'm far from the Lord. 
And if you are a follower of Jesus, yet you've strayed away, God longs and yearns for that relationship not to be broken or not to have some angst between it, but to, but to, be, but to long for it to be one and a unified one. Some of you know what that's like on both sides of that. Some of you love, some of you parents love your children even while they're running away. Even while they're chasing the things of this world. Even while they're wrapped up in some kind of sin that they may seem like they're really enjoying the stage of life that they're in. That they're enjoying this rebellious time in their life. You still long for your children to know them and to be intimate with your children and have that intimate relationship that you've had for however long that they might have been alive. You long for those things. Maybe some of you are experiencing that on a, on, on a familial basis. Some of you may long for relationships that, where your, your, that relationship with your spouse has grown cold. Where you're just kind of cohabitating in a home that used to be full of love and joy and, and peace and happiness and laughter and joy. You may long for those kinds of things. That, that's, a, that's just a way for us to understand what Zechariah is talking about. How the Lord longs for his children. Longs to be in relationship with us. Longs for us not to stray. But for us to be in relationship with him. Here's what I'll say just to you. Whether you're a parent who is longing for that child to come home or you're longing for that child to be in that relationship that you had before. Whether you're longing for a spouse to be in a relationship, the one that you fell in love with. Keep pursuing them. Keep pursuing your children. Keep pursuing that spouse that may have gone astray. Keep pursuing them. Even though you may not feel like it, that's what we see the Lord doing, even for us who stray away from time to time. Keep pursuing them. Keep going after them. And for those of you who may be the one who has strayed away, if you're a child who has just gone off on your own and has run away from the Lord and run away from parents, come back, wake up. Your parents love you. If you're a spouse who is just living in a cold relationship with one another, wake up. You've been in a relationship with your spouse. If it's because you've strayed after someone else, end that thing. Don't run after those kind of things. Run back to your first love and your home. These are ways that God has given us to see, understand a little bit, just a little bit about what that relationship is with God and his children. This is the cry of your loved ones if you're the straying one. This is the cry of your loved ones. And this is the cry of God for his people today. Come home, wayward one. Turn to Jesus for an abundant life. Come back, unfaithful bride. Come back, unfaithful groom. Do not delay. Come home, prodigal. Today is that day. Today is that day. We just sang a song about Jesus being greater. Jesus is greater than any earthly thing that you might have given your affections to. Come home. Let's keep going. In this same part of the text, chapter 12, first few verses of one, uh, uh, chapter 12, first few verses of chapter 14, this really speaks to God's sovereignty and his power. And let me, just, let me just say this. Sometimes we church people give lip service to God's sovereignty and God's power. Uh, I, I just want you to know that he is sovereign over all things. He is all powerful over all things. Nothing happens, nothing occurs, good or bad or anything at all. Nothing happens or occurs unless he causes it or allows it, okay? That may not set well with you. It may not even feel good in your spirit, but it's true. Nothing, nothing surprises him. The, the tragic events of this week did not surprise God. There is sin that he allows for a season to go and to manifest itself. He allows it for a season, but there will be a time when he says this is enough. But nothing happens. Nothing happens outside of the watchful eye of our great God and King. 
Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. If you look up, you see the heavens. If you look down, you see the earth which God has formed. And, and if you look within yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, you see the spirit of God that actually lives and, and breathes life within us. The Lord is sovereign over all things as this text reveals. There's, a, there's an emphasis in these, in these texts that we just read that, uh, on all nations and all people. And it seems like uh, at, from reading this, at some point, all the nations of the earth will gather around and come against Jerusalem. Uh, Joel chapter 3, Matthew chapter 24, Revelation, a number of, of chapters in Revelations actually talk about these things. And it seems like all these world forces will actually come against Israel to fight against God and his people. Uh, and, and it seems that as we, if you get into the book of the Revelation, that it seems to indicate that uh, Satan will use his demonic influence to cause nations to come against Israel. But if, if you, again, as I say this, it is the Lord who allows things like this to occur to accomplish his purposes. What you talking about, preacher? I'm telling you, just like I said, nothing occurs Outside of God's sovereign hand causing or allowing it to accomplish the purpose in which God has set out. If you're, if you're sitting in your seat or if you're watching online somewhere and you, and you kind of do this. I don't, that doesn't really set really well with me, preacher. That's okay. I get it. I've been in that seat before. But nothing occurs outside the sovereign eye or the sovereign hand of our great God and King. Zechariah chapter 14. Turn to that one with me if you will. Look what it says in verse 2 and 3. I just kind of emphasized it whenever I was reading through it. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So what does it say at the beginning of verse 2 for who will gather all the nations against Jerusalem? Yeah, it says, I will do this. The Lord's speaking. God says, I'm going to gather these nations against Jerusalem. And these are the things that's going to occur. And there's some really crappy things that happen in that, in that verse. Look, then look at verse 3, though. It says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations uh, as when he fights on a day of battle. And so he is gathering them for his purposes to be accomplished. No matter what they do in that, that time frame, God is gathering them for a specific purpose. Then if you turn back to chapter 12, uh, verse 2, uh, it says this, behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The sea of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And so again, these nations will be gathering against Jerusalem and it will not go well. What it talked about is we read in here, he says, I'm going to give them a cup of staggering. Um, and what do you think of when you hear it, he's going to give them a cup of staggering? What, what, do, you, what do you think of? <laughs> Bunch of hamburglers out here. <laughs> rubble, rubble, rubble. What do you think about? Come on, say it louder. Yeah, so alcohol, right? I mean, these, that's, that's, that's the exact image that came to mind. He's going to give them a cup of staggering. It's like he, you know, he, uh, like fraternity life or something, some big garbage can full of hunch punch that he's going to stick in their, in their, in their hand. He's going to cause them to stagger. What, however, he's not going to do it that way. But uh, that's what, that's literally the vision that came into my mind. It's I'm like, they're going to, he's going to give them the cup of stagger. He's going to cause them to just be like out of their mind for a little bit. And you read, we read through that in some of that text. Said, then it says the Lord will visibly appear. Look in chapter 14 again, verses three through seven. I know we're going back and forth, but these kind of, these kind of piggyback on each other. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, which he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lie before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. And I'm going to, not going to keep reading it just for sake of time. And basically it says that the Lord will touch down and there will be this great earthquake that actually happens. Uh, and and in this, it's like the king has come back to win. And you know, you've, you've heard us talk about Jesus coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as some meek and mild guy anymore. He's coming back on the back of a white horse, galloping in, tats on his thighs. Uh, and he's coming back to just kick him some tail is what's happening, okay? You can read that. It's in the Bible. It doesn't say it that way. It's just my version. But that's what's happening. I get, I understand that language. Um, but the Lord always fights for his people. 
As we read all through the scriptures, he, he, he will fight for his people. We see that with Moses. We see it with David. We see it with Isaiah. And what we see in those times is the Lord fights for his people in his time. The Lord fights for his people for his good pleasure. And the Lord fights for his people uh, to accomplish his desired ends. That's when the Lord says, it's time to happen. When he says, it's time for my will to actually be uh, and come to fruition. And so the Lord has been long suffering with his people's enemies and his enemies. Uh, but this prophetic book of Zechariah tells us there's a day when the Lord's patience will run out on his enemies and he triumphs over them. Now listen to your preacher. Each of us has a given number of days in which we live. I've said that before, but our days are numbered, the ends from the beginnings. We have a set number of days. You can work out all you want to, and as a gym owner, I would prefer you to work out, uh, or I, actually, I'd prefer you to just pay me and not come to the gym. Uh, that's the preferred method, uh, which some of you do, which I'm very happy about. Um, but there are a certain number of days in which we have to live. Our script again, our, our days are numbered, the ends from the beginnings. And there will come a day when there is no more time left for you and for me. There will come a day when God's patience, listen, God's patience will run out on you. And I'm specifically speaking to you if you're outside the household of faith in this, in this particular instance. We all have a limited number of days, Okay. But I'm specifically speaking to you that there will come a day when God's patience will run out with you. Because your days are numbered. And instead of interacting with a God of grace and peace, one who laid his, life, his son's life down on a cross to shed his blood, to cover your sin debt. Instead of interacting with him and pursuing Jesus and pursuing grace and pursuing mercy, you will meet the God and face the wrath of God. Instead of Jesus facing it on your behalf, you'll face that God of wrath yourself. And you won't win. You won't talk your way out of that. No matter how slick you think you are or how cunning you think you are or how much money you have to throw at God or whatever the thing is that you think will get yourself out of that, it won't work for you that day. At that day, it's too late. So I say to you today, we say to you today, we plead with you today that while there is still time, respond to this God's, respond to the Holy Spirit's calling. Respond to him in repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. Escape the wrath of God and embrace the grace of God. That's the calling. That's the warning from Zechariah and from your pastor today. Zechariah goes on in, in the rest of some of these verses that we've read. Uh, uh, we read Zechariah 4 through 9 and we read through um, uh, chapter 14, just a few verses. Let me pick up in 14, verse 12. This is what he, uh, he says in verse 12. This shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day of great panic from the Lord shall fall on them and that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected. Gold, silver, garments in great abundance and the plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys and whatever beasts may be in those camps. And so we see the Lord defeating his enemies with panic, with a plague, and, and specific power given to the Jewish warriors uh, during this day. It says even their horses will uh, freak out with this panic, with blindness. Uh, the riders will, will be confused and they'll even fight with each other. And it says that God will watch over his people and his people will be delivered. 
It says he makes these enemies like dry stubble and the Jews to be like fire. And so think about making your enemies like dry stubble. The Lord makes his enemies like dry stubble. Anybody have a fire pit or everybody ever sit around a fire pit? You know what I'm talking about? If you, if you want to, you know, kind of help your fire get started and you put something dry into it to start, sometimes it goes how quick? Pow! And it just burns up quickly. You put dry stubble uh, into a hot fire and it just goes quickly. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, uh, slow burns with dry stubble. There's no uh, just elongated heat that comes from that. Dry stubble just burns up very, very quickly, quickly and easily. And this, and this tells us that Jesus will win. Jesus will defeat his enemies very quickly and very easily. It says, even Judah, the weakest of the nations, will be enabled by God to be valiant in the fight. And, and then we see the people repenting. Uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 10. Turn back to 12 with me. I know we're going back and forth, but this is, this is Zechariah and this prophecy. Look what it says. Um, you know what? For the sake of, yeah, we're going to read it. And I will pour out... On the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look upon me, on whom on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as the one mourns for a child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The, the land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, their wives by themselves, the families of the house of Levi by, by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites uh, by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. Then 13, on that day there shall be a fountain opened uh, open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and from their uncleanness. And, and so, uh, look, repentance is, so if you get to 13.1, where they're going to cry out to the Lord in repentance and their need for him, repentance is not something that we just work up on our own, okay? Listen, you can't decide just one day, I'll decide the day when I'm going to repent and come to the Lord. Salvation is of who? 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 Yeah, salvation is of the Lord, okay? You, you don't get to decide one day, I'll live as, the way I want to live for as long as I want to live. And when I get a little bit older, I get through this season in my life, then I'll come to Jesus, okay? You don't get to decide those things like that. You won't just one day wake up. The scripture is very clear that we are children of wrath. We run from God. We do not pursue God until the Holy Spirit of God awakens us to the gospel, awakens our dead hearts, and gives us faith to actually believe. That's the way you come to the Lord. By the faith given and granted to you from the Lord. If you're praying for someone right now, you pray that the Lord will grant them faith. You pray that the Lord will grant them repentance. Because that's how salvation comes. Salvation is of the Lord. We, I would encourage you to go to Ephesians 2 and read that. Ephesians 2 talks about being dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, uh, may he made us alive in Christ Jesus. Okay? If, you don't, if you're struggling with that theology, go read Ephesians 2. And so this is what occurs in Zechariah's prediction for Israel, that they will look upon Jesus and they will see the way that they have pierced him and the, the piercing that the Jewish people actually caused and then at that day, when that day comes, they will actually call out in repentance and faith. They will see him finally as Messiah. They will see him as deliverer. They will see him as Lord. They will see him as Savior. Forgiveness will come to them just like forgiveness has come to you and me. And that only comes by faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Listen, if you're trusting in anything else other than the finished work of Jesus, if you're trusting in your own works, your own goodness, that you hope the scales tip in your way sometime or nothing, you are missing how faith and acceptance and salvation actually comes to you. It comes through Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Then you get into chapter 13 and it talks about uh, repentance that um, Isaiah and Jeremiah had pleaded for um, his people to repent, but it did not come. 
And then it talks about the fact that Israel, again, will come to someday to repentance. Paul speaks about this uh, in Romans chapter 11. And um, golly, man, I said I was going to preach long, but I'm not sure I told you the truth. <laughs> repentance for that. Uh, I, I'm going to keep going because this is, this is too important. Uh, to turn, if you want to turn with me, turn to Romans chapter 11. So you go, how does this actually work, preacher? How does this work where Israel will actually come in? And how does it work where God is patient with this? And, and how, how does all this play out, preacher? Well, we're going to just kind of give a quick look into this that Paul, we, we preach through Romans. If, if you missed us preaching through verse by verse through Romans, you can go back on our website, listen to us, preach through the text and, and preach verse by verse through Romans. And, and so if you get into chapter 11, this talks about uh, this remnant of Israel uh, coming and, and how that uh, the Lord hardened the hearts of Israel so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. And, and so the overwhelming majority of us in this room are what? Gentiles. Yes, we're Gentiles. And so because the Lord chose to harden the hearts of Israel, it allowed you and me, we Gentiles, to be grafted into the root, okay? It allowed us to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And, and so uh, you get to Romans chapter 11, verse 11, it talks about the Gentiles being grafted in. And, and, then you, and then it gets a little bit further into this, and it talks about the mystery of Israel's salvation. Let's, let's look at this uh, just really quickly, because this is very important. Verse 25 in chapter 11. And so he's already talked about hardening of Israel, Gentiles, being grafted in through faith in Jesus. And then he gets to this in verse 25. And he says, look, lest you be wise in your own sight. Okay, let's stop right there. Lest you think you're smarter than you think you are. We are smarter than we think we are. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? Very, very plainly stated. What does it mean? Why don't I tell you what it means? Uh, what it means is that the Lord has hardened the heart of Israel so that you and I and all the other Gentiles in the world, all the other non-Jewish people in the world might come to know Jesus. So a partial hardening, not a full hardening, not forever hardening, but a partial hardening has come to the Jewish people so that you and I might come to know the Messiah. Okay? And then it says this. Verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards, uh, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. See that? Israel is an enemy of the gospel for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For those who are part of the household of faith, they are beloved because of, back to Abraham, okay? And those that follow. For the gifts and the calling of God are what? It's a big word. I'll say it for you. Irrevocable. The gifts and the calling are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. See that? Because of, of Israel's disobedience, we have now, uh, uh, they were disobedient to God and we have become the beneficiary of it, 31. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they might also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How are inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, I don't understand how all that's going to work, okay? But I do believe it will. Why? Because the word of the Lord says so. I don't have to fully understand it. I don't have to fully understand how it plays itself out. 
But I do have to believe what the Word of God says if I say what I believe is what I believe, okay? I can't pick and choose. You can't, I mean, you can pick and choose what you believe, but you're missing the boat, bros. We don't get to pick and choose what we like about the book. We have to take the book and, and, as it means and it says what it says. Okay, I got to keep going. Oh, man. Um, Zechariah 13.1, one, first verse of that, uh, that, that first verse in chapter 13, verse 1 is um, the song that there is a fountain filled with blood comes from. 13.1 is, uh, man, I've already lost my place. Uh, Zechariah, where are you? Go to Matthew, go back to... Chapter 13 in Zechariah, um, that's where the song, there's a fountain filled with blood. Here's what it says. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I don't have time to go through all this. But a minor prophet, just a verse from the minor prophet has been a song that you've been singing about for probably most of your entire life. You grew up in church. You know that song? There's a fountain filled. There is. All right, I don't have time. Stop singing. Get to the, get to the sermon. So this text tells us that all the people will be cleansed, but so uh, uh, the land will be purged from all its deceitful people. That's, that's what we read in some of this text. The idols, the false prophets, the false teachers, they're all fake, 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 okay? Uh, all cleansed uh, uh, from their midst. All, all that stuff is going to go away. And, and look, only God can do this kind of work. Only God can take our false idols and just make them burn up and go away. And so, yes, this text is about future Israel, but it's also very applicable to each of us today, for you and for me today. Because only, only the Holy Spirit, only God himself can cleanse you from your false idols. And so here's how I want you to discover what your false idols are. What in your life is more important to you than Jesus? What in your life is more important to you than your relationship with the God of the universe? That's become your idol. And only Jesus can cleanse your heart and, and make your heart new and make those idols not be so important to you. I'm not saying those things are not important, okay? Okay. I'm not saying those things that you just thought about in your mind are not important because they probably are important. They just can't be the most important for us. Because if what happens is if, if something else is up here, then everything else gets filtered through this thing, okay? Let's just say it's... Uh, I'm about to step into something. Whatever your thing is. <laughs> Decisions that you make, how you spend your money, whether or not you go to a gathering with a church family sometimes, how you, if you're going to give or not give to your church family, if you're going to invite people into your home, if you're going to be part of a gospel community group because you don't have time, all just litanies of things gets filtered because this thing becomes number one, okay? If Jesus is down here and this thing is up here, Jesus gets whatever time you, you just kind of carve out for him, okay? Now, if this, if Jesus gets moved back up here, you go, you know what? These things are important, but it's not as important as this. Then suddenly we filter everything else through my relationship with Jesus. And what Jesus says is the most important thing in my life. And how my life and relationship is with him gets filtered. Everything gets filtered through that. And then things find their proper perspective. Again, I'm not saying all those things that you just thought about are not important. I got lots of things like that in my life. But they can't overrule my relationship with Jesus. If not, they become the idol in my life. All right. Remaining part of chapter 14 tells us that the Lord will reign again. The Lord will exercise justice on those who reject him. And holiness will be the characteristics of God's people. Okay, that, that's what 14 says. Oh. Um, and so as, you, as we wrap up Zechariah, if you read the rest of Zechariah chapter 14, you'll see that, uh, that Zechariah calls for the people to repent, but it really ends up with that happening. People repenting and, and this holy nation and this glorious kingdom being set up uh, here on this earth. And, and so 
I, I need you to understand this. If your theology, because this Zechariah is talking about the kingdom being set up, Jesus coming and establishing his kingdom on the earth and, and, and the earth uh, uh, being, being essentially reformed, like Eden restored is what this looks like, okay? So if your theology is, I can't wait to get out of here and I'll fly away, you got, to, you got a little work to do on your theology. And I know that hurts some of your feelings. I don't really care. Because that was mine for a long time until I actually picked up the Bible and read it. I listened to other people tell me what that was supposed to be rather than opening the word and asking the Holy Spirit to teach me something and listening to some other pastors teach me some things that I'd never been taught before. And so if your theology is, I'm out of here and I can't wait to get away from these stinking people, you need to work on your theology. Read your Bible. If you have questions about it, come and ask us. Be our joy to spend some time talking to you about that very thing. He, God is all about um, setting up kingdom on the earth, setting up his earthly kingdom here, saving his people, and all of God's people worshiping him together. All for the glory of the one who has bought us with a price, and that is Jesus. Lastly, I'll say this. This is all about Jesus. And so my question is this, what are you trusting in for your eternal security, for your eternal salvation? I'm going to ask you two evangelism explosion questions because they're good, like them or not, not like that program or not, whether you like it or not, it's irrelevant. These questions are good. If you were to leave our service today, wind your way through these hotels, come out here and go, you're going to go to lunch and you're going to end up on I-40 going one way or another. And you're, you're just going out there, your family's having a great time, and all of a sudden some 18-wheeler comes along and splatters your brain all over the highway. And suddenly you die, and you're standing before the Lord, and he says, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Why should I let you in? What are you going to say? If your answer is anything other than on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If it's anything and I trust in Jesus, my great deliverer, my only hope is found in him. If your answer that you just came up with in your head is anything other than Christ alone, then you got to rethink what it is that you're trusting in for your salvation. Because these things that Zechariah has talked about, that I, we've talked about for the last few minutes, has, they are coming to pass. And there will come a day when you stand before the Lord and have to give an account for your life. And have to, whether or not he asked that question or nothing, you have to give an account of why you should be with the Lord. Why heaven should be your home. Why you will leave this life and move into the next life. And you hope that it is with the Lord. You have to give an answer for that. If that's not your, if Christ is not your only answer, if Jesus is not your only hope, then you are in grave danger on being on the other side of what Zechariah talks about. Not the love and the care from God, but the wrath of God extended to you for all of eternity. My friend, instead of experiencing God's grace and love and mercy for all of eternity, for enjoying his presence for all of eternity, adopted by God, you'll find yourself facing the wrath of God. Remember, Zechariah is a book of hope and Zechariah is a book of judgment. Hope for the people of God. Judgment for everybody else. Today, you can find that hope, that assurance, that blessed assurance that Jesus is yours for eternal life, for eternal forgiveness, for eternal adoption into the family of God, for an eternal home with the Lord. We urge you today, come to Jesus. Let me pray for us.